If you remember all the way back to last week, we heard the story of uh, Jesus and the disciples, the apostles, going to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asking them, who do, the, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they answer, and who do you say that he is? And Peter answers for them, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock it will build my church. Peter gets it right. And today we turn just a few verses later, and Peter gets it wrong. And, and I have to admit, I find some great comfort in Peter. If Peter, St. Peter, who could follow our Lord for three years, get it right and wrong, uh, he, he's, uh, uh, gets, it, gets it about 50% of the time he's right and 50% of the time he's wrong. If he can do so with the Lord uh, present, face to face, then certainly there's some mercy for all of us when we get it wrong because uh, we don't have the Lord present in the same way. We certainly have the Lord present, but not face to face, not uh, in our lives as uh, consistently and uh, precisely as he was for Peter. But here, Jesus begins to prophesy his death, and he's not even prophesying the cross. He's just prophesying that he's going to be killed and on the third day raised, that he's going to suffer greatly in the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. And Peter, God forbid that should ever happen to you. And perhaps part of it was because he understood, or what he understood, the Christ, the Messiah, the the Son of God, uh, to be. That this Son of God, this one who is standing in front of him, was the Messiah, the one who was going to cast off the shackles, uh, not only of Rome, as so often we hear, but cast off the shackles of sin and death itself, that he was going to redeem us. And how can he redeem us if he's put to death? How can he redeem us if he suffers at the hands of the, the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes? How can he redeem us? God forbid that should ever happen to you, Lord, because then you're not the Messiah, maybe, he was thinking. And Jesus says some harsh words, get behind me, Satan. Now, our anti-Catholic brothers and sisters would point out, well, obviously, St. Peter can't be, uh, can't be all that important to the church because, after all, uh, Jesus says he calls him Satan, tells him that he's the ruler of hell, and this is not, this is not necessarily the case. Satan is not a name. He doesn't say that, Satan, that Peter has become Lucifer or the, the, uh, the person who is in charge of hell. In fact, the word Satan is more a title one who is an accuser, one who stands against God and God's people. If you remember the story of Job from the Old Testament, it is the Satan who comes before God and says, uh, you know, Job is only faithful because you are good to him. Pull away your goodness and he will curse you. And God basically says, go ahead and do to him what you will, just don't touch him. And then certainly God removes that. But Satan, this Satan figure is the one in the Old Testament, uh, or in the book of Job, is the one who stands against Job, stands against God, and accuses. That's what a Satan means. That's not saying that Lucifer isn't real or that, that hell isn't real. I'm not saying that at all. But at this, at this point, Jesus is saying, you are standing against me. You are accusing me of being something I am not. Get behind me. You're an obstacle to me. You're thinking as human, thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. And perhaps uh, 
uh, it's just providential we have in our second reading today, St. Paul inviting us, inviting all of us, to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, to discern what is the will of God. Peter, at this point, is not discerning the will of God. Rather, he's thinking very humanly. How can Jesus be Savior if he dies? But it's precisely because he dies. And again, Jesus is not even prophesying here that he's going to die on the cross, but elsewhere he does. And so often we, we don't see this huge scandal of the cross. He used scandal purposely because I think this word obstacle should, is uh, translated from the word scandal, uh, scandalon, which is a stumbling block, an obstacle. The, the cross, uh, the, and I've shared this before, but uh, the historians of the time rarely talked about crucifixion, rarely talked about the cross because it was such a scandal. It was a way of utterly decimating a person. And in all parts of the world, the person was stripped. There was a title put over their head. We have it in, in our crucifixes, I-N-R-I, uh, which is uh, uh, the anagram, I, I think it is, of Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It was the person's name and their crime. And that title became a way of telling everyone, if you want to avoid becoming like this person, whose name is here, don't do the crime that this person did which the crime is here. If we look at the title of over Jesus' head, what is the crime? He's the king of the Jews. And stripped, nailed. The irony of the cross is you did not die on the cross because of the nails, and you actually did not die on the cross because of the loss of blood, although that was quite heavy. Usually, somebody who was to be crucified would be uh, um, um, scourged right before uh, they were nailed to the cross. Jesus was scourged before he was even condemned to the cross, which there's a whole homily there of why that is. Pilate trying to get Jesus freed. But it's not by the, the scourging, it's not by the blood loss, it's not by the nails, is by asphyxiation, that you literally drowned in the air because you could not get your breath. In all parts of the world except Israel, somebody who was crucified was left on the cross until they rotted or were torn off by animals. In Israel, because of the uh, Jewish law that somebody had to be buried within uh, before sundown of the day they died, they were allowed that dignity just a slight dignity. It was a way of announcing to everyone, don't do this crime. And while it was relatively rare, there were times where it was more common. But at the same time, everyone knew what crucifixion was. In fact, in, in, uh, after the rebellion of 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed and, and uh, all the rebellious uh, Jewish people were rounded up, the historians talk about how there was so little room that they ran out of room for crosses. They ran out of wood for crosses. And how the Roman soldiers would crucify people in all sorts of positions just to get rid of them. Just to be done with it. The cross is not a pleasant thing. And St. Peter, the apostles, 
hearing the prophecies of the cross, would have certainly said the same thing. God forbid this should ever happen to you. You are perfect. You are the innocent one. You are the son of God. You are the second person of the Trinity, we would say. You are the one who gave life and you're going to suffer death. You're going to die. You're going to be buried. No. See, it isn't so. But it is. It's because of the cross. Because Jesus took the scandal of the cross. The worst of the worst. The worst way to die. That he gives life. Because he took death itself. And beat death by death. As we see in our, one of our prefaces. That he fashioned immortality out of, moral, out of mortality itself. That he gave us eternal life by death. This is how Jesus saves us. It's not God forbid, but this is what God planned. That God planned Jesus to take the cross. Perhaps in the back of Peter's mind, and maybe in the back of our minds, if they can treat our Lord in such a way, if they can crucify him, if they can put him to death in such a scandalous way, though he was innocent, after all, even in St. Luke's Gospel, we hear after the death of Jesus, the centurion saying, surely this is an innocent man. If they can treat our Lord that way, what hope do we have? We who are sinners, what hope do we have of redemption if they can treat our Lord that way? Again, maybe in the back of Peter's mind, that is also what's going on. Not only is, is Jesus perfect, but if Jesus, who is perfect, can be crucified, what hope have we? And indeed, St. Peter does go to his death. In a twist of fate, he is to be crucified because he is seen as a rebellion leader and as it would be he asks that he be crucified upside down because he does not see himself worthy to die in the manner of our Lord perhaps little did he know that by doing so he actually prolonged his suffering but Peter took the cross because he understood and that is the invitation of our Lord in the second part of this gospel passage. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. St. Luke adds an important word here when, he's, when it's recorded. Take up your cross daily. St. Matthew would not disagree with that. It's not enough just to say, I took up my cross one day. I took up my, up my cross, but you know, I found it a little heavy, so I set it down. No, the cross is the, is the cost of entry into heaven. To take up our cross to follow our Lord. And yes, that cross isn't literally a cross, isn't literally that we're going to crucifixion. But the cross is the, the gifts and the sufferings and everything that God has given us. The cross is a means of salvation. A number of years ago, I heard uh, a woman talking about uh, her daughters. One daughter was a, uh, uh, had entered a religious order and was not able to be at the wedding of her sister. And so she wrote a letter to her sister. And she uh, wrote in such a way that it was beautiful. And I, the, the, the line that haunts me is that she was telling her sister, see in your husband your most cherished cross. Yes, spouses, you are each other's cross, not in a, in a way that it's bad necessarily. You're not supposed to 
egg each other on towards heaven, but you are each other's crosses. You seek to bring holiness to the other. All of us are given a cross. I'm reminded of the story of the, the man who, who did not like his cross and he had a dream and he, he went to, uh, to talk to the Lord about it and the Lord gave him, took him to a room with, filled with crosses and said, okay, pick out your cross. And he went in and while well, he didn't want that big heavy cross, he knew, he knew that was too much for him, but he didn't want to be a wimp and he didn't want that little light cross. He didn't want that, that cross that was filled with barbed wire and, and, and sharp uh, razor wire and all those things that could cut him, but he didn't want that, that cross made of, of silk either. He, he, so he finally chose a cross that was in the middle, a cross that seemed to fit. And our Lord looked at him and said, eh, that was a cross I had given you. Our Lord knows us. He knows the cross that we need for salvation. And when we begin to see ourselves in in the will of God, we begin to see how it is all part and parcel. How the sufferings that he has given us are the means that he is using to bring us to salvation. All the glories that we have, all the good things that we enjoy, are the means that he uses to bring us to salvation. Everything everything. I've shared this before and I continue to to be in awe of this, that everything in my life, all the good and the bad, all the sickness and the health, all the, all the, the lost uh, people who have died, all those that I have enjoyed their company of, all of it, all of it is what God uses to bring me deeper holiness. When we begin to put our minds in light of the cross, when we take up the cross and follow him, knowing that nothing else will give us salvation, nothing else will lead us to happiness, nothing else will lead us to hope, we begin to have our minds transformed. We begin to see perhaps differently. Maybe we don't cry out with today's prophet that we hear in the first uh, reading, I was duped and I let myself be duped. Rather, we begin to see that God has planted in us a fire that cannot be quenched, a fire that needs to come forth, a fire that allows us to take up our cross to follow him day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, that our Lord is inviting us to take the cross, to follow him, that we unite our cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, Not a cross that remains as an instrument of torture, but a cross transformed by the irresistible grace of our Lord into a thing of glory.